Hi everyone, hope you're doing well. This morning, for those of you who I don't know or maybe you came in late, my name's Todd, I'm the lead pastor. So glad that you're with us and now I get to introduce and welcome our podcast audience. So glad that you are with us if you're listening via our podcast. Um, glad that you're here today. We're in a series called Everlasting Light and in this series we're walking through what it means that God sent Jesus to be the light of the world. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to John chapter 1. You can turn to John chapter 1. Uh, if you uh, have your devices, you can get on online. We have free Wi-Fi, so if I see you all glowing, that's why. Um, so anyway, you can uh, turn in your Bibles or on your devices to John chapter 1. We we're going to be kind of walking through a little bit of John chapter 1, which is one of the most significant theological passages in all of Scripture. And it has a lot to say about Christmas and what happened so many years ago. And so it's a very important passage. And uh, so my prayer for you is over the course of the series that the fact that God sent the everlasting light into this world will become very personal and you can make it very applicable to your life, not knowledge for knowledge's sake, but that you would just sense the fact that God loved humanity and he loved you enough that he sent Jesus to be our everlasting light. If you have your notes, you can follow along this morning, or you can uh, get on our website and you can access our notes there. And uh, they're at the resource portion of HiltonHeadIslandCC.org. Well, last week we kicked off this series called Everlasting Light, and we uh, began in John 1. Last week we talked about the fact that the celebration of the birth of Christ is celebrated on December 25th. Uh, around the world largely because the early church fathers uh, decided that that would be the best time of year to celebrate the birth of Christ. Now, there's a group of people who believe that he may have been born on December 25th, but most scholars, most theologians believe that Jesus was born sometime either in the fall or in the spring. Have I ruined Christmas for any of you? <laughs> Merry Christmas to you. Um, so I'll be saying that a lot today. Uh, more than likely, Jesus was born not on December 25th, but I want you to capture this, and this is what we talked about last week. There's a specific reason that, we, that the early church fathers chose this time of year to celebrate the birth of Christ, and it had to do with this. For millennium prior to the birth of Christ, people in the northern hemisphere of the world celebrated the darkest day of the year, which happens sometime around December 21st or 22nd. And as time went on, this celebration of darkness and in some cases the anticipation of light that was coming uh, was celebrated and kind of morphed into some uh, religious pagan uh, rituals and celebrations. And it included just horrible things and that sort of thing. And so the early church fathers decided that this would be a good uh, time of year to combat those pagan rituals and those pagan religious celebrations. And they decided it would be a great time of year to celebrate the fact that God entered darkness and that he brought the everlasting light, Jesus, to our world. Uh, it's, it's really no accident um, that Jesus' birth, um, the time of year, wasn't recorded. Back in that day and age, there was much more of a celebration around someone's death rather than their birthday. And so um, we don't have the exact time of year that Jesus was born. What's more important is, is that the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, they celebrated not the time of year that Jesus was born, but they really wanted to celebrate how Jesus was born, that God 
sent Jesus as a baby to be born of a virgin in a miraculous divine way. You see, that's the exciting part surrounding Jesus' birth. His mission and the way that he was sent to earth is why we celebrate Christmas. Now, last week, what we talked about in the application that we made is so many of us who are Christ followers go through the Christmas season and we kind of have a, a Scrooge bah humbug kind of attitude towards Christmas. You know, there's just too many shoppers. There's too many commercials about Christmas. Um, big box stores should never have Christmas trees up in July. Um, you know, in preparation for Christmas, not for July and Christmas. I, I'm just kidding there a little bit. But we kind of get irritated with the over-commercialization of Christmas. And in some respects, we, we ought to be. But the application that we made last week is the fact that God sent Jesus to be the light of the world. We should be excited and enthusiastic about that fact. We should be actually leading the way of celebrating the fact that God himself sent light into a dark world. And so that was one application we made last week. The other application was is for those of you who are skeptics or maybe you were skeptics or you doubted the story of Christmas or maybe you had a lot of questions about God, we gave you an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I, I, I'm very excited to tell you that six people indicated that they trusted Christ last week in both services. So we're really excited about that. That's why we do what we do. It's why we passionately share the message of Jesus Christ and help lead others to follow him. Today we switch gears a bit and we discover how the light shines. Last week we talked about humanity and the light shining in darkness. This week we're going to personalize that and ask the question and, and talk about why did God send Jesus to shine the light on our own personal story? Because we all have a story, don't we? Each and every one of us have a story. And it's interesting, if you ask someone about their story, um, they, they kind of talk about it. And we as humans, we kind of talk about our story in three different phases. We talk about the past, and we talk about the present, and what else do we talk about? The future, okay, like three of you are with me, great. Um, so anyway, we talk about the, I'm just kidding. We talk about the past, and we talk about the present, and we talk about the future. Next week, we're going to be talking about God um, shining light on our future but it's interesting, as we kind of talk about our story, um, we often don't really have a problem with our present, um, and, and we often don't have a problem with our future, although sometimes that may be discouraging. We'll talk about that next week. But as we look at our stories, each one of us, when we consider our stories, there are times when we look at our stories and we're embarrassed, we're bothered, we're depressed and discouraged often about our past, aren't we? And I know that in a room this size that there are probably more than one or two of you who when you think about your past, you're incredibly discouraged about maybe the choices that you've made or maybe the impact that someone has had on your life. And when I say the past, even saying that your story and talking about the past, it kind of brings up images in your mind of, of failure, failed relationships, failed business, failed at school. I'm in seminary right now. I'm getting a little healthy dose of failing in school right now, let me tell you. We think about the failure we've had. We think about the shortcomings that we've had. We think about those things in our lives that are trying and that bring pain and suffering. Some of you are in here today and you've experienced cancer or you've had a loved one that's experienced cancer. And when you think about the past, 
you think about hurt and you think about pain. Some of you have been hurt deeply by someone in your past. And when you think about the pain, when you think about the past, the pain of that circumstance comes to the forefront of your mind. There's an old story about two friends talking. The story goes like this. One man says to his friend, hey, you look depressed. What are you thinking about? And the friend says, my future. Then the man asks, well, what makes it look so hopeless? And the friend says, my past. That's the way we view our past sometimes. We look at the past and we think we have no hope for the future because of what has happened before. But it doesn't have to be that way, does it? The past does not have to determine what happens in the future. It doesn't have to determine. It doesn't have to be that way. And I'm sure that most of you have probably heard a guy like me get up on a stage like this and tell you that if you'll just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, the future looks bright. They may tell you something like, if you dig deep within yourself, there's enough within you that you can change your future, that you're good enough to determine what happens in the future and that tomorrow will be a better day than yesterday because of you. I'm here to tell you that's not the truth. And Merry Christmas again. (laughs) But I am here to tell you today that because God came as a human, he shines light on our past. And he shines light on our story. I want you to hear this. Because God came as a baby, because he came as an infant, because he came into this world as Jesus, he understands your past and he can identify with what you're going through. You see, God came to be the everlasting light, yes, for humanity and to light a dark world, but he came specifically for my past and my story and my sins and my failures and my shortcomings and the way I've been hurt and the pain that I've gone through, and he came for your story as well. Because God decided to send Jesus as a human, he identifies with us and he understands us. It's interesting because Martin Luther, who we began with a story with from him last week, he once said the mystery of the humanity of Christ, that he sunk himself into our flesh, is beyond all human understanding. And I don't know about you, but when I think about the divine God, the creator of heaven and earth, becoming mankind, putting on skin and becoming flesh and bone, it is very difficult for me to understand. I'll admit that I think Martin Luther's right. It is very difficult for us to understand how God, the divine one, could become mankind. But I don't know about you, but the, kind of the, the way that I don't understand that is not from an ability standpoint. If I believe the Bible, which I do, I believe that God can do anything, that he's all-powerful, that he's all-knowing, that, that he transcends time and space. And so he could, see, I, can, I believe that he could become a man. I don't think he is limited in his power to become mankind. That's not why I have a hard time understanding the incarnation of God. God sending Jesus to become man. The reason I have a hard time understanding it is not that he could do it or he couldn't do it, but I don't understand why he would. Why would God, 
the all-powerful creator of heaven and earth. The one who spun the stars and the planets and the moon and the sun and this beautiful place that many of us call home here on Hilton Head Island. Why in the world would he humble himself enough that he would save the world by becoming a man? I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that question, but I've asked myself that question. Why would he do that? Why would he experience the pain that you and I go through? Why would he experience some of the disappointment that we go through? Why would he experience the relationship situations that you and I go through to save the world? I want you to hear this this morning. It's because he wanted to identify with you. And he wanted to understand your story. And so God sent Jesus as an infant as a human, so that he could shed light and shine light on your story. You see, our past, when we think about our past, there's a story that God is continuing to write about that, more on that next week. But the past, as difficult and as despicable and discouraging as that seems to us, God will shine light on even the most terrible part of your story because he identifies with us and he understands us because he became mankind. I believe that's why God became human so that he can understand. And so my premise this morning is that no matter what you've been through, no matter what you're currently going through, no matter what you'll face today, later, or tomorrow, or 25 years from now, God understands it because he became humankind. But why and how does he understand? Well, I want to take a look at three different things because I think the Bible is clear on the why and the how part as well as the can and couldn't part. So let's take a look at three different principles this morning, three different ways of how and why Jesus sheds light and understands our story. First and foremost in your notes this morning, Jesus understands humanity's story because he was fully human. He was fully human. Now, before we dive into this, one of the things you need to understand, and this is where our mind is limited, is that God sent Jesus to live for 33 years on this earth and to die for our sins, to redeem mankind. And he was fully God, yet he was also fully human. I don't know about you. I've got a list of questions I'm going to ask God about when I get to heaven. That's at the top of the list. We'll ask God one day how that can be the case because our finite minds can't understand it. But God is transcendent of time and space. And so we believe, if we believe the Bible to be true, that he was flesh and blood. John in his gospel in chapter 1, the passage that I ask you to take a look at this morning, in verse 14 speaks to this. And this is our key verse this morning. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that whole verse is great. There's so much packed into that verse in terms of theology, but I want us to focus on the first phrase there and the word we already established last week that the word is Jesus, that Jesus was preexistent, that before the beginning of time, that he and God were preexistent, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one. Again, one of those questions I'm going to ask when I get to heaven. But God was three persons in one that was there before the beginning of time. But this verse says that the word became what? 
flesh, and what dwelt among us. I love that phrase. He became flesh. I hear people say that, that um, you know, Jesus is God with skin on, and that's kind of a little phrase that's always bothered me. I don't know why. I just, I don't know. I don't know if it creeps me out or something. But anyway, they're right. As much as I may not like that, that's what the Bible says. And John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote this, and the Word became flesh. And I love this next part. Not only did it become flesh, but I love the next part. He dwelt among us. For 33 years, God dwelt among us. Meaning he experienced much of what we go through. He suffered in many of the ways that we suffer. God chose to dwell in the domain of mankind. Do you get the weightiness of that statement? God, the divine one, chose to dwell in our domain. And because of that, he understands us and he identifies with us in our past and our story and our pain and our joy and our sorrows. You see, the act of incarnation of God wasn't just a sacrifice for God the Father. We might be able to get that and understand that, but it was also a sacrifice for Jesus as well who, as we learned, was preexistent. We talked about that last week. There's other evidence that Jesus was the incarnate form of God. It wasn't just John 1.14. There's other evidence in Luke. For instance, Luke, a doctor who wrote the gospel of Luke, in Luke 2.7 says, and she, talking about Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son. She gave birth. Okay, get that. God didn't choose to come in as royalty or in some kind of uh, dominion as a kingly man, he didn't insert himself into a man who was 40 plus years of age with all the experience that goes along with it. God chose to be an infant. The most humble form of humanity. And he chose for his son, the savior of the world, to be born of Mary, who was a virgin. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Take a look at a few verses later in Luke 2.52 as we see how Luke describes Jesus growing up. It says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in, stature and in favor with God. And man, Luke, again, a doctor who is interested in the uh, intricacies of Jesus' life, and particularly some of the, the parts that a doctor might be interested in, says that Jesus grew up. That's what he's saying. He got taller and he got bigger and he got stronger. Jesus was a man. Uh, students, kids in here, he experienced some of the growing pains that you're going through right now. Physical, emotional, relational with fellow students and moms and dads. You see, Jesus understands humanity because he chose to become one of us for a period of time. And that means he understands our story. And that means he sheds light on our story. Secondly, Jesus understands humanity's story because he had earthly relationships with people. Jesus understands humanity's story because he also, just like us, he had relationships with other people. Um, I don't know about you, but many of the problems that we face in life come from other people, don't we? I mean, we're perfect, right? 
It's all the other people that's a problem, right? Come on, I'm not right about that. I mean, it's not you, it's me. And it's not me, it's you, right? I have a pastor friend who says, you know, being a pastor would be awesome. It'd be great if it weren't for the people. <laughs> but you know, you could insert just about any vocation in that line. Being an architect would be great if it weren't for the people. Being in real estate would be awesome if it weren't for the people taking their sweet time to close the deals. Being a teacher would be great if it weren't for the parents. <laughs> I know a lot of teachers, that's what I hear. Being a student would be awesome if it weren't for my parents. Right, students? I mean, let's face it, that's what we think, right? I was 15 at once too, so I think that way too. Your struggles relationally, Jesus gets it. Your awkwardness with people, Jesus understands that. Your frustration with people, whether you like people or whether you don't like people, Jesus can identify and understand that. Your pain that people have caused you because Jesus was human, he understands that and he identifies with it. There's several different passages that we can take a look at in Scripture to show us how Jesus dealt with other people and maybe even the not-so-great side of other people. The first one is Matthew 21. Remember that Jesus was a rabbi in his own right, and he would have had a following of not just 12 people, but maybe hundreds or potentially even thousands of people. And he walked into the temple one day, and he didn't like what he saw because the temple, the place where God exists, had been turned into Shelter Cove Mall. Well, not the way it is now. And definitely not the way it was a few years ago, but maybe what it might be in the future. Okay, my little stab there locally. Um, but look at what Jesus does in Matthew 21, verse 12 and 13. Jesus entered the temple, and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers in the seats of those who sold pigeons. I love that part. Like, get out of here. You can't sell pigeons in the house of God. Pigeons are gross. You can't do that here. You can't turn the house of God into a place where you're trying to gain money for your own selfish needs and wants. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Don't you sense the joy and the satisfaction in Jesus' words there? No. You sense the frustration and the disappointment that he had with some of the people who had turned the house of God into a mall. He was irritated. If you are in here today and you get irritated easily with people, Jesus understands that. And he identifies with you. If you're in here today and there are times where you get angry, Jesus understands that and he identifies with that. Another story involving Jesus and someone that he loved, a couple people that he loved very much, comes to us in Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Take a look at this. Now Jesus, now his parents, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. Everybody converged on Jerusalem during this time of year. And when the feast had ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know. This does not look good, does it? DHS would not like what's going on here. 
Verse 44, but supposing him, it gets worse, supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey longer, but then they began to search for him among relatives and acquaintances. It's like Mary and Joseph got on their way going out of Jerusalem, and a whole day went by, and they looked at each other and went, um, you got Jesus? No, I don't have him. I thought you had him. I mean, this is like the worst parenting ever. This makes me feel good about parenting. And this is Jesus' earthly mom and dad. They left him in Jerusalem. Verse 45, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem. At least they went back. (laughs) They were searching for him. After three days, he was gone for three days. They found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. I, I remember this. Cynthia and I, when we had just had Sydney, she's nine years old, she's sitting down right here. When she was an infant, um, one day at church, we both were working at the church that we were on staff with in Atlanta, and she was in one of those infant carriers that you put in the car seat, you know, they like look out the back window. Anyway, so anyway, they sit in that car seat and they're all bundled up. We put her in the car seat, gathered all, all of our belongings, and we walked to the car and got in the car and started the car, and we looked at each other and went, hey, wait a minute, we forgot Sydney." And we had to walk back inside the church to get our daughter that we, I get, I get Joseph and Mary here. At least it didn't take us three days or even a day. It took us like a minute to find Sydney. Jesus had his own parents that in some form or fashion at the age of 12 years old probably disappointed him. They left him in Jerusalem, a big city for three days. If you're in here today and you've ever been abandoned by someone, Jesus gets it. He understands and he can identify. If you're a child in here or maybe you're an adult in here and you were an abandoned by a mom or a dad at a young age, Jesus understands. He can identify with your story and he will shed light on your story. If you're in here today and you've had someone in your life been unfaithful, Jesus understands and he can identify with your story. His parents left him at 12 years old in a large city to fend for himself. Jesus, because he was human, God, because he put flesh and blood and bones on, can identify with our story and he can understand us. There's another story. Some of his closest friends, some of his closest followers are recorded as coming to Jesus in Mark 6, 30 through 32 and bragging about some of the work that they had done. This is well into Jesus' ministry. Look at this. The apostles, they returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Verse 31, and he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away, verse 32 says, in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. You see, even Jesus got bothered by the crowds. How many of you are bothered by crowds? Let's just get honest here for a moment. Okay, don't go shopping on December 23rd or 24th if you just raise your hands. Jesus was bothered by crowds. He, I can identify with you. He needed to get solitude. So you're like, I need some solitude right now. Jesus can identify and understands your story. Finally, Point number three, Jesus understands humanity's story 
because he experienced emotion. We already saw the passage in Matthew 21 where Jesus goes in and turns over the table and cast out those money changers and those people with pigeons out of the temple. He shoes them out and he gets them out, but he experienced anger. But I love one of the verses, one of my favorite verses. It's right before the ministry of Jesus starts in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. He's, he's about ready to gather all his disciples together, and his ministry is about to start. Now, have this picture of Jesus maybe kind of walking through the hills and maybe even some of the mountain areas of Jerusalem, and he looks over the city that he so loves. And take a look at what he says, what Matthew says. When he saw the crowds, he had what? Compassion. Say it with me again. He had what? Compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus felt compassion for people. That's an emotion. When you see the pictures of a starving child in a foreign country and your heart breaks for that child, or when you see a child that's been abandoned or maybe even abused or someone who's suffering and you have passion and compassion and your heart breaks, Jesus understands that emotion because he experienced it as well. But he experienced it in a spiritual sense. He experienced in the sense that they were harassed and helpless spiritually. Compassion's emotion. Jesus understands our emotion. There's a moment when Jesus was sad about the pain that was coming on him in the future. He was all God and he was all man. And in the hours and the days before his crucifixion, he realized the pain as a human that he was going to experience. And we see in Matthew 26, that he said to his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. If you're in here today and you have sadness, you have despair, you have discouragement, maybe even you have depression, Jesus understands the emotions that are tied to that. You see, God came down as a human and he sheds light on your story. He identifies with you and he understands with you. And that sheds light on your story. I want to leave you with a question today. How does Jesus' response to humanity bring light to your story? How does the fact that God incarnate, Jesus as a human, humbled himself enough to become man, how does he shed light on your story? Make it personal. This morning, you don't have to understand all of it. Martin Luther, the mystery of the humanity of Christ, that he sunk himself in our flesh, is beyond all human understanding. We may not ever on this side of heaven completely understand the incarnation of Christ, God becoming man. But you know what? If we believe the Bible to be true, if we believe the truth of the Christmas story, then we must believe that God became human to shed light on our story. How does that fact change you and bring light to your story today? Father God, I pray for those who are in here today. God, who may have walked in discouraged, in despair about their past. When they think about their story in the past, they certainly don't think about triumph and victory and gladness, gladness and joy and celebration. In fact, it's very much the opposite. 
when they reflect on their story, it can lead to despair and discouragement and depression. God, I pray for those who are in here today, whether they're Christ followers or whether they're skeptics. God, I pray that you would speak to them right now, that you would reveal to them that you came in the form of a humble baby, born in a barn, in a feeding trough. And God, you did that. You were the everlasting light. And you did it to shine on our story. God, there's nothing within us that can overcome the junk of our past. But God, if we put our faith and our trust in you, we can know that you understand our past and you can identify with our past. Help us to live victoriously in the light of the fact that you are the everlasting light. Father God, for those who walked in here today and they're skeptics and they're doubters, and God, they're having a difficult time believing the Christmas story. They're just going through the motions of the Christmas season. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself in a new and a fresh way. Holy Spirit, speak to them this morning. And may they, whether on their own or with someone else or here at church, make a decision to accept you as their personal Savior.